Before we get into today's chat, we'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we record this podcast today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. As always, we pay our respects to their elders past and present. I think it's really important to remember your child's job is to help you evolve. That's what they're here for. They're here to help you be the best version of yourself and work through all your own crap so you don't place it onto them, right? That's their job. They're like, "Mm, this is not mine. I'm going to just push the exact right button so you can work through what you need to work through. Our children are the teachers. We think we teach them. They are our teachers. Welcome to Talking in Common, a podcast of all things lifestyle, family, relationships, well-being, kids and culture. This is not a how-to, but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by. Hosted by myself, Kate Gadinsky, and my co-host, Sophie Panton. Take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common. We'd like to say a big thank you and shout out to today's episode sponsor, Lululemon. This holiday season, give the joy of Lululemon. And we're back on the air. I feel like I've been staring at you all day through a screen. Probably because I have been. It's probably because we have. <laughs> How are you feeling? Good. Good? I'm excited for today's episode. I know, me too. We've actually literally just come off the back of an amazing, oh, comforting, nourishing, informative chat with today's guests. So I think we're both feeling, I don't know, I'm just feeling like quite chill and grounded. and Yeah. I feel like I learned so much as well. So I'm mm. feeling a little bit more kind of empowered as a parent. Yes. And a bit more informed. Tell it to me. I'm going to go downstairs after we finish this and hopefully. Aware parent the shit out of it. <laughs> be a little bit more aware as a parent. So we, actually, I won't introduce our guest yet because we haven't talked about what we have in common. Hmm. Well, what have we got in common, my darling? There's always something good probably trying to navigate these big big feelings that come with young children totally our emotional little children that we've both got at the moment yeah that everyone probably most of our listeners have has. all got but, yeah you know just talking about different tools and different methods and different things that we've both tried which we seem to be talking about a lot lately mm. sort of not comparing as in comparing you know, ourselves to each other, but comparing notes of different things we've tried. And mm. it's a bit like that when you're parenting. It's all about sort of trial and error and learning mm. from, from your mistakes. We all mm. make mistakes. We're human. Mm, absolutely. But it's um, a little bit bittersweet because today's our very last guest episode. I know. We're not going to be talking to a guest for a little while. We're definitely going to follow this episode up with a recap. Yes, absolutely. As we always do. And remember and reflect on all the great conversations and things that we've learned. So we'll do that. But yeah, you know, it's a little guest episode. So should we get into it? I think because it is a good one and there is lots to share. We had the incredible Lael Stone join us. 
yes, we're very excited to introduce her to you today. Lael is a parenting educator, a consultant. She's a public speaker, co-creator of Woodline Primary School, which she tells us all about this and the philosophy and the creation of it. It's amazing. As well as being a co-host on the Aware Parenting Podcast, which is so awesome. And I highly recommend it for all parents who are interested in learning more about loving limits and boundaries with a more gentle approach, you know, close attachment, love and connection. She talks in depth on all of these topics with such a wealth of knowledge and experience. So highly recommend that. She's also a mother of three herself and an incredibly generous and wise woman. We spoke to Lael all about the concept of aware parenting and what this means young kids with big feelings and how we as parents can navigate this, finding balance and boundaries, as well as sort of helping and nurturing our children to self-regulate themselves and so much more. You are absolutely going to love this chat. Here she is. Lael, welcome to Talking in Common. Thank you so much for joining us. We're both super excited to chat to you today. But firstly, how are you? Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I am actually a bit weary, you know, as we're heading to the end of the year and all the things are culminating and it's been a really big year and I've, you know, I'm, I'm great, but I can feel that, you know, that kind of bone tiredness where you're like, I really need a break. So I feel like I'm kind of limping <laughs> to the end. I've got about another three weeks of work and then I'm having a whole month, which is going to be amazing. So yeah, oh, it's, good. I'm great, but it's, yes, it's been a big year, big year. Yeah. It's so wild when you get to the end of the year and like, you know, it's, it's like such an exciting time. There's always so much going on, so much to celebrate, so much socializing, but mm. Like it's always so exhausting. Like I don't know why we all do it every year, year after year. And my kids are so exhausted actually at this time of the year. Mm. Just every day coming home from school and kinder and they are wrecked. Yeah, I don't think we've got the balance right at all as a culture. No, I don't think we do. So it is towards the end of the year. And there's often find there's not much learning going on. Everyone's just a bit like, oh, how do we get to this place where we need a break? Which ideally isn't how it should be really, but that's the way that we've learned to do it. So, Lael, can you start by telling us and our audience what aware parenting is and what it entails? Yeah, for sure. So, aware parenting um, was created by Dr. Aletha Salter. So, she's a Swiss-American psychologist. So, she wrote her first book, The Aware Baby, in the 1980s. I look back and think she was well ahead of her time as far as awareness around trauma and healing and all those kind of things. Uh, So, she's written quite a few books and her philosophy really what aware parenting is is It's kind of got three main components to it. The first one is about close sensitive attunement. So really it's about being able to tune into your child. So, you know, when they walk in the room, you can just see that there's something off. It's being Mm -hmm. able to read their cues and be attuned and attached to them. The second element is about using non-punitive discipline. So it's not using punishments and rewards to get our kids to do what we want them to do, which I often usually joke then parents go, but what do you do then? (laughs) You can't do that. What do we do? And the third element is healing from stress and trauma. So aware parenting really looks at using things like laughing, play, crying, as in hold, you know, being with your child when they cry, allowing the expression of feelings helps to move stress and trauma to allow children to come back into balance. So it can be really similar to classic attachment parenting on some level, but I think it goes that next step, which is really around understanding that all humans have stresses and big feelings and traumas. And uh, when we have a safe, attuned adult to help our children unpack or offload those, then it allows the child to let go and not carry those stresses and traumas so they can move forward in life being the best version of themselves. 
Mm, it's such a beautiful like middle ground of different parenting styles that I've, you know, accidentally practiced myself or that I've read about or and that's why I love everything that you educate and talk about because it does feel like a really nice kind of middle ground. Mm. Yeah. Look, for me, I found a way parenting. I have three kids there uh, 22, 19 and 14. And I didn't really come across work parenting until I had my third child. So I spent kind of the first seven or eight years kind of just making it up, trying to figure out Mm. how to do it, but not doing it well. Like I knew I kind of didn't want to smack my kids and I didn't really want to use timeouts, but I didn't know what to do. I really thought the whole idea of being a good mum was keeping your kids happy all the time. So I was a pretty permissive parent and I really spent a lot of time trying to keep my kids happy, which I'll just tell you does not work and is very, very exhausting. It is so exhausting. Yeah, so exhausting. And really when I came across the word parenting, I was like, oh, this is what I've been looking for because it really helped me understand what was going on from a behavior point of view. It helped me understand how to navigate big feelings and emotions. It also really taught me how to take care of myself and Mm. my stuff so I could be the parent that I wanted to be. So I only came across it, you know, I'd had two children and then when my third came along, that's when I was like, wow. And I really feel it was so valuable uh, having that information a few years down the track to then be able to see what I'd done with my first two kids and then how we could create healing with them and then doing it with my youngest from a baby was was a real gift. Mm. That's what I wanted to ask you. You know, what was your path in getting to it? So did you get to your third child and you sort of actively – started to seek something different or did you just happen to come across something that resonated with you or it actually came about because of trauma so I had a um a really challenging birth experience with my third baby we had a bit of a life or death experience and I'd spent many many years before that working in childbirth so I was a childbirth educator and a doula and a postnatal counselor so I'd worked a lot in birth and we had a really challenging third birth experience there was a, a lot of interventions a lot of touch and go of whether she would live whether I would live like it was a big traumatic experience and all those things that we know are really beautiful when you have a baby like skin on skin and the first gaze and breastfeeding like my my baby spent the first four days of her life in a coma and we didn't think that she was going to live you know she had more interventions and tubes and all that stuff it was pretty full-on so when we did finally get to take her home nearly two weeks later I remember looking at her thinking she is a stressed baby I could see it Mm. she was her eyes were wide often a lot of times she'd have these very jerky movements. She wasn't what I knew other babies to be. And I remember looking at her thinking, you've been through a trauma, I've been through a trauma. Like how do we heal this? Because mm. I know enough to know that this can have an impact on life. Yeah. And I was really just at this like, okay, I, I need to do something to support my baby. And um, my midwife actually told me about the book called The Aware Baby written by Letha Salter. And so when I read it, I just was like, whoa, okay, this makes so much sense about parenting across the board but also about how to help my baby heal from this trauma we'd been through and also myself. So that's how I came across it because I really was just like, what am I going to do? We've been through this really massive experience and I don't want her to carry that in her body for the rest of her life and I also needed to heal from the experience. And so that that's what really brought me to Aware Parenting and it was just the biggest gift ever because it really changed my life. Once I started working with the philosophy with my baby and then with my older children I just was like wow this is a game changer and you know then my kind of work you know lent into that and you know the rest is history. So from what we've sort of already learned the foundation of aware parenting is heavily based on connection with the parent and child. Mm. Can you talk us through the importance of this but 
also just what a connected relationship looks like between a parent and their child. Yeah. One of the biggest things that I often talk about is that we want our children to know that all of them is welcome. So many of us grew up in a behaviorism paradigm, which means that we learn from a pretty young age that we are rewarded when we're good and we might be punished or, you know, a parent removes their energy from them if we're deemed bad. And really, I guess where parenting looks at that there is no good and bad. And I explain it often like this. There's just, for me, children in balance or out of balance. Mm. No child wants to be naughty and bad. They don't want to hit their little brother and they don't want to behave in those ways. It's often a whole lot of feelings or stresses or traumas that are sitting in a child's body that makes them behave in a certain way. So I often talk about our job is to learn to look behind the behavior. So when a child is acting out, you know, what we want to do as a parent is be curious and go, oh, I wonder what's going on here. Now, is there a basic need, right? Is it that my child is hungry, so we feed them and then they're fine, right? Or is it that we haven't seen each other all day and we need some cuddles and connection mm. and then they feel better? You know, do they need a bit of presence with me? Do we need to play a little bit and have a giggle and then they're fine? Or is there a whole lot of accumulated stresses and traumas that are holding in their body that need to come out? And how can I support that? Do we need to set a limit for them to push up against? Do we need to bring some presence to them? And can we hold space for their big tears and feelings to come out so they can find their way back into balance? Because tears and laughter are the ways that we begin to reset our nervous system, particularly as little children. So, you you know, when we're looking from an aware parenting point of view, it is about being attuned to our child and connected enough to to read them. So I often invite parents to scan their kids. So it's imagine when your child walks in the room to just do a little scan of them to go, well, where are they? Are they in balance? Are they out of balance? And you'll know if they're in balance because you know, they're usually singing, they're, they're mm. telling you excitedly about what's going on, they're making eye contact. You ask them to, can you please pick up the toys there? And they're like, yep, no worries. And they do it. You know, it's usually when they're cooperative, when they're kind to their siblings, like that's when you, you can see a child is in balance. That's their natural state. When a child's out of balance, it's, you know, when they walk into the room and they hit their, you know, brother in the head or, you know, you ask them to do something and they don't listen to you and then you ask them again and then they stick their tongue out at you or they, they yell why do I have to do everything or whatever, right? We see that there's often a lot of resistance in what's going on. And for me, I often invite parents to go, that's when we have to be curious and go, okay, they're out of balance. And why might they be out of balance? And the, and the why doesn't matter as much as how do we help them come back into balance? And so that requires connection from us. It requires us to be connected enough to ourselves to be curious when our child walks into the room instead of reactive. And it requires us to you know, be connected to our kids to be able to read those cues or to understand when there's something off or something happening for them so that we can then support them to find their way back into balance. Yeah. So when we're met with a child that is seemingly out of balance, what should we do in that moment? So firstly, it's always a need. If there's a need there. So if it's like, oh God, they're probably hungry. We meet their needs first. Do, do they need food? Do they need water? Do they need a cuddle? And that makes them feel better. Mm. We're always going for the needs first, right? We have to see what, if we meet that need, if it feels okay. The second thing that I often do is sometimes is, is tuning into, do they need some information in this moment? Because a lot of the time for children, they need information to help them feel safe or help them feel secure. And when they don't feel safe and secure, that's often when they act out.
out. So my first thing is a need first. The second thing is information, which is let's just say there was a really massive noise outside and then they started to get freaked out and what they might need is, ah, that was a truck, honey, and they're Mm. they're doing some building there and that's what happened. And when we give them that information, they're like, oh, okay. Or we're at the park, you know, and they're having a great time playing and the next minute we just pick them up and walk off, right, and they start to resist. We need to say to them, hey, we're actually going to leave the park in five minutes. What would you like to do before we go? And, And then should we race to the car or, you know, we give them that information and then, that makes them feel better. So usually I start with those two things. And then the third thing that we'll often go to is if you can see your child's a bit out of balance, you can see there's something going on, can we bring some playfulness or can we bring some connection to it? You know, let's just say your four-year-old is has got a ball and they're throwing it against the wall and you say to them, sweetheart, you know, we don't throw balls against the wall. If you want to throw the ball, you can throw the ball outside. And they kind of look at you and smirk and keep doing it. (laughs) Now, you know, you've kind of told them what you want to do, right? You've given them some information and they're still kind of doing it. So, what you could meet them with is some playfulness and go, oh, is a ball against the wall time, is it? What if it's about ball against mummy's butt outside? (laughs) Let's see if you can hit me on the bum, right? You invite them into some some play. Like kids cannot resist play. And that will meet that need for a bit of connection. You go outside, they try to throw the ball at you. If there's laughter, you know, laughter is one of the most beautiful stress releases we can have. We can do five minutes of play, which can help a child find their way back into balance. However, if we go back to the ball story, if you invite them to throw the ball outside with you or do something playful and they don't take the bait or they don't want to do it and then they keep doing it and looking at you, then what they're asking for is a limit. And um, my lovely co-host of my podcast, Marion, calls it loving limits, which I think is such a beautiful term Mm. because often we think boundaries are all about us yelling and this is what I've said and this is how it goes, whereas a loving limit requires us to be calm and centered and I often explain it like in keeping our heart open while we're setting a limit. And so what we might do is we might walk over and say, sweetheart, I'm not willing for you to throw the ball at the wall. I'm going to take the ball now. And what they might do is try and run away or they might try and throw the ball at you or they might struggle with you. But what you're doing is you're actually setting a boundary with the understanding that when a child is out of balance, sometimes what they're doing is looking for a boundary to push up against to move some of the feelings that may be sitting there. So when we say, I'm not willing for you to throw that ball anymore, they might push up against us like, no, I want to throw the ball and all of a sudden there might be some big tears and feelings and what we are wanting to do in that moment is to stay really calm and say it's a no for the ball but you can tell me how you feel and we hold space for those big feelings that might be brewing underneath the surface to come out now many parents will probably relate to this in the sense of you know if your child's been at daycare for the day or kinder or even school and they come home and you know they want a drink and you give them the blue cup and then they go I want the green cup and so you swap cups and then they're like no I want the red cup and all of a sudden you give them the wrong cup or whatever it is and their reaction is massive and they lose it because of the colored cup or because you cut their sandwich the wrong way or because this used to have more ice cream it's not usually about the ice cream or the cup or, you know, the sandwich. It's about the accumulation of feelings that may be sitting there for them. And in that moment, they're looking for something to push up against to allow those feelings to come out. So sometimes that requires us to set a boundary and a limit when we can see they're out of balance. And a classic sign with this is many families is when a child is out of balance, they'll make a beeline for their sibling and pick a fight. 
So they'll all of a sudden want what the siblings got or they'll throw something at the sibling. And that's where a child is really asking us to step in and say, hey, I need some support here to move the feelings that are kind of driving why I'm behaving in this way. And sometimes that looks like setting a limit. It's holding space for the tears and the frustrations or whatever sitting there to move. Many parents will know this as once that anger and those tears have moved, your child will come back into balance. They'll kind of want to come up for a cuddle and then they'll look at you and go, what's for dinner, right? And then they just move on like there's no storm that has just passed, right? It'll just be like, ah, I'm back online again. And I think that, you know, what we're looking for in those moments as adults is to understand there is always a reason for the behavior. There is always something behind the behavior. And Mm. it is our job to decode that and help our kids come back into balance. Right. Yesterday, I picked up my six-year-old. She's nearly seven from school and she was definitely out of balance. I could just tell straight away she wasn't herself. She was, she's highly sensitive generally anyway, but she was a bit all over the place, a little bit scattered. Her little sister was with me. She was just already annoyed by her little sister, like not interested in seeing her. Got into the car and she kind of looked like she was going to cry. And I was asking her if everything was okay. And I'm just tired and, you know, Lulu's annoying me. And then they kind of bickered the whole way home. We got home, then she realized she dropped something that she made out of her school bag that she said, I've spent so much time on this and she was bawling her eyes out. And I was trying to say to her, darling, it's okay. We'll see if we can find it. Nothing was kind of making her calm down. And eventually I really kind of had to not push at her to get her to tell me what was wrong, but I, I could sense that something had happened at school. And I'm finding with her that The more we try and ask her, the more she's kind of resisting because I think she worries that she's going to get in trouble or she's going to upset a friend. And eventually she did open up and she told us that something had happened at school. And while she was still upset, I could tell as she was talking about it, she really started to sort of calm down, then kind of started laughing and we could make a bit of a joke. But then she sort of proceeded to say, but I'm not feeling well and I don't want to go to school tomorrow. And it's so tricky, I find, because she is sort of at this age where, you know, friendships are so important. You know, if something's happening that makes her feel uncomfortable, then she just doesn't know, I guess, how to deal with it. She also doesn't want to talk about it. So it's really, really tricky. And her poor little sister's getting yelled at and pushed around because, you know, Nina's obviously feeling frustrated and upset because of an incident that happened at school. I don't know how to fix it for her. And I know that that's not the answer, that we can't fix everything for our kids. But anyway. You just touched on something then, which is so big, which is that we know we shouldn't want to fix stuff for our kids, but every single cell in our body goes, I don't want you to hurt and I don't want this to be hard and I want to make it okay for you. And that's one of the most challenging parts of parenting is actually to sit beside our kids in the hard stuff and not fix it. Because when we do, we we rob them of developing that beautiful resilience and understanding about how to navigate tricky things. And, you know, it's it's beautiful that she was able to get to the place where she could say to you, this feels really hard or this has happened with my friend. And, you know, part of it is is really just listening to the feelings around it. It feels really hard when your friend doesn't want to play with you or, yeah. Should she push them to tell you though? That's what I struggle with because when she sort of resists and sometimes I have to say to her, look, you're not in trouble. This is a safe space. You know, we can share anything amongst ourselves and we just want to make sure that you're okay. And often she'll resist. And then you have to ask her a few times and then eventually that's when she gets upset 
and then she'll tell us and then she's fine afterwards. Yeah. So I think, again, it depends on the child. Some children will just be like, here's all my feelings. Here's everything going on. Others will make you work harder for it. So I think it firstly comes back to knowing your child. So, you know, that the story you told, Kate's beautiful in the sense of that, you know, she got upset about something she made, you know, and often when a child's reaction is way bigger than what is kind of warranted, we can often presume that there is something else sitting underneath the surface of that, right? So amazing that you can go, all right, there's something else sitting there. And I guess what I would do in that situation is just hold space for the upset that she dropped her thing from school and that's not great. And then as she moves through those feelings, you could just offer her, is there anything else going on for you, sweetheart? And just just leave it there, right? Now, she might not want to go there just yet and that's okay. And it might be that half an hour later she picks a fight with her sister again and you can be like, all right, there's still more there and you need to step in and hold a boundary and and it might be that she brings it up then. Like some children hold on to it for a little bit until they're ready to discuss it. You know, and I think the thing is too, it's really important as a parent to remember we know often that something's sitting there for our child, but if you were to imagine that you had some stuff going on for you and your partner's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Tell me what's wrong. <laughs> like, what's mm. going on? How are you feeling, right? You'd be like, I'm not going to tell not you. The mood. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So we want to keep working on safety, right? And emotional safety is connection. And that can be sometimes when we can see our child's holding on to something, it could be, right, I'm going to just spend five or 10 minutes of just connection time with them. So you might yeah. go into a room and go, do you want to have a thumb wrestle? Or you might just do handstands together or just something that's fun and connected to just bring some safety as that child feels that safety with you, you know, that you might find that they snuggle up on your lap. And it's in that moment that they might go, you know, something happened at school today and share with you. So it's a dance, right? It's a delicate dance of sometimes leaning in, waiting, being patient. You know, at her age, she's still learning, is it safe to bring these feelings out? And so mm. we want to keep making sure your words are beautiful, like it's safe if you can tell me anything, you're not going to be in trouble. It's kind of working on that safety as much as possible, that emotional safety, so they know that they can tell you. You know, the big piece of that too is when children do tell us stuff that's hard, how we respond is really important, which is we've got to respond with calm and with a centeredness. If we start going, oh, wow, that girl at school is not okay and I'm going to call their mother so and have to do that. <laughs> you know, then all of a sudden our child's going to be like, oh, God, okay, this is a big deal and yeah. mum's not coping with this. Or if yeah. we jump in to fix it, then that's one of the other things that a child learns to go, oh, I probably wouldn't, I'm not going to share this. Yeah. If we judge or freak out, you know, they're going to be like, oh, this is too much for them. So our job is to be super anchored and neutral if we can. Mm. And really it's to say less. It's just to go, that sounds hard tell me more. And then at the end of it, you could say to her, do you want me to give you some ideas of what you could do tomorrow? Or did you want me to just listen? Now, sometimes kids go, I just want you to listen and you leave it at that. Or she might be like, I, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. And then you could say, ah, oh, you feel scared about going to school. You're worried about what might happen. Mm. And then you could offer things like, well, should we work through some ideas or play or what we could do when you do see your friend tomorrow? Should I be your friend or should I be you? Right. And we bring some playfulness into it again. And so she might be like, you be me. And you go, okay. And then you might be a bit silly and she'll giggle and laugh. <laughs> and then you go, you be the friend. Okay. What could you say? Or what would she say? And, and all of a sudden we're giving our children some beautiful tools and ideas of how to navigate tricky situations through play, through connection, through all that kind of stuff. Yep. They're all such great 
suggestions, particularly, you know, Kate and I were actually just talking about, you know, Nina's scenario that Kate just explained and how she wants to make sure that Nina can sort of stick up for herself. So that idea of role play and giving them that opportunity to almost like predict what might happen and then have those little tools of responses when that does happen, that's amazing. It is so vital. We're constantly teaching our beautiful kids and guiding them to learn how to empower themselves. But sometimes we need to give them words they can use. Sometimes we need to role model what that can look like. Like that's really important scaffolding that we're doing to help them understand and have tools to be able to navigate tricky situations. All right, let's take a break for a minute, my darling, to talk about our favourite time of the year. It's It's the the most wonderful time of the year. year. Oh, my God, we were completely out of sync there. That is horrid. (laughs) We are getting well and truly into the festive season now. And if you haven't already thought about the gifts you'd like to be giving, we are here with some great ideas for you. You know that feeling after a good stretch, a workout, or even just a quiet, conscious moment to yourself? Well, they're called runner's highs, post-yoga glows, and endorphin rushes for a reason. Oh, I love that feeling. Movement is absolute magic, and it's medicine. It's actually no secret. In fact, it is science that moving your body produces mood-boosting endorphins. So this holiday season, Lululemon has some seriously great gift options, which will bring joy all year round, even once the holiday cheer is well and truly gone. They have great options for the runner in your life the yogi, the high-intensity gym junkie like you so. That's me. Or if you've got someone who's more like me, the at-home morning stretch kind of person, even if you're after just a token gift for your Kris Kringle, Lululemon has you more than covered. We love that. This holiday season, give the gift of cheer 365 days a year. Give Lululemon. Another scenario that I know a lot of parents will relate to and would love some guidance on is something else that Kate and I are both struggling with at the moment with kinder and childcare drop-offs. And with this, you know, more aware or attachment style parenting of making them feel really safe and comforted, when you drop them off and they scream and cry and cling on to you and say they don't want to go, even though we know that they are having a good time there and they are well looked after and they are safe and that it's all fine 30 seconds after we leave. What are your suggestions in that moment of them not wanting to let you go? It's an awful one for the parent. My daughter's been doing it for like eight weeks straight now, every single day she goes. It's really tough. Like, firstly, I just want to have a whole lot of compassion to any for for you guys and to any parent who's listening who's going through it because it's really, really, really tough, that scenario. I mean, I would probably start with how do we do some work before we even get there? So what that might look like is, you know, separation and big feelings around separation is quite normal and quite common and there's usually a few elements that come into play with it. So there's the element of how we feel about it as the adult and how the child is often tuning into us around Mm. it. You know, many of us have stories that we still carry around separation when we were little, right? And potentially our parents didn't have even as much awareness as what we do so we were probably just shoved off, you'll be right, you know, and we had to learn how to suck it up. So So for many of us as adults, we can have feelings that we've still got around it, but also Mm. that 
it feels really horrible when we're seeing our child upset and we're leaving them. And so if we're still holding a story that goes, oh, this isn't okay and it's not going to be all right and, you know, we, we get to the night before kinder drop off and we're dreading it and we're feeling that, our children are going to be picking up on our energies firstly to go, this is unsafe, right? So we firstly as adults need to get support for ourselves so that we feel neutral and central so that we know, hey, it's okay for you to cry and this is a safe place for them to go, exactly what you said, Sophie, but we want to make sure that energetically that's what our body is saying as well because if we're in the like oh this is terrible and horrible our children are constantly tuning into us they're feeling us so they're going to be like oh yeah but this is not okay because your body's telling me something's not all right here so I think that first thing is really important that we need to make sure we take care of our needs which is maybe just talking to a friend about it or a therapist like just getting out all your fears and worries so that you can be more central and neutral you know when we do it the other thing that we can do beforehand is do lots of connection time and separation games before we have to say goodbye. So that could be in the morning, you know, and I know mornings are a full on hustle, you know, but even 10 minutes of play and connection to fill up your child's cup so that they feel they've had some presence and being seen with you in the morning can make a difference for when we need to separate. So, mm-hmm. you know, if we get up in the morning and we're doing that hustle and we're kind of ordering the kids around and, da, 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 and all the crazy, and then we put them in the car and then we're going to say goodbye, like that feels a big stress for mm-hmm. a child because they haven't had that kind of fill up of connection before they have to say goodbye to you talking about kinder or daycare or whatever and holding space at home for feelings is a good thing so for yeah. a lot of kids who you know have issues going if you talk about say hey it's a kinder day tomorrow they might go I don't want to go to kinder my daughter asks me now do I have to go tomorrow is it a kinder day oh she'll tell me it's a home day tomorrow and she'll start to preempt. And so what we do naturally is go, yes, but it'll be fine because Charlie yeah. will be there to play with or, you know, your favourite teacher's You're going to have right? so much fun. Yeah. She's like, yeah. no. No, I'm not. What we need to do in that moment is when we say it's a kinder day tomorrow and they go, I don't want to go, is to take a breath and go, ah, you don't want to go. Tell me about it. Tell me all the things that feel hard about it. Because what we're doing is when we're jumping into, no, no, it will be fun, we're completely disregarding their feelings of this feels big for me. And so we want to give them the space to offload, this feels really huge for me. And if they can cry, oh, I don't want to go, it doesn't feel big. Like that is, again, a stress. It's a release of the feelings that feel big there. And we want to be calm. We want to be like, yep, I know it feels scary going to kinder and I'm here and tell me more about it. So the more work we can do at home, the less we have to do in those moments at kinder. The other side of kinder is playing kinders. Like So when we get home from the day mm. and we want to have some playtime with them, we could be like, do you want to play kinders? And that can be, again, a really beautiful way of children, how they process how it happens. And it could be that they want you to be them and they're the teacher and, and you might role play, I have to say goodbye, I don't want to say goodbye. And you find your child will be like, it's okay, you're going to be all right. You know, they'll play out what they need to. And, again, it's another beautiful way of how they process that separation and saying goodbye in the moment when we are driving to kinder you know and you might find the feelings come already in the car and again you can be like you can I know it feels hard but we are going right you're looking for that kind of what we call the sweet spot 
of where the feelings bubble to the surface and we can hold it. So, you know, my youngest had some big feelings about going to kinder and, you know, we'd be driving to kinder and she'd be like, I don't want to go. And so I would pull out at the front of kinder and sometimes I'd be in the car with her for 20 minutes just listening to her tears around, I'm not going. And I'd be like, I know you want to go, sweetie, but we are going to go in. And I'd just hold that limit lovingly, really trusting she had to get out all the big feelings first. And then often after she'd had a big cry, then we'd walk in and then she'd be happy to be there for the day. She'd kind of move the feelings that are there. Now, for some children, those tears don't start until you're about to leave. So again, what's really important is information. You're saying to your child, when we get to kinder today, mummy's going to stay for five minutes or 10 minutes, whatever it is. We're going to read one book and then I'm going to hand you over to Cheryl or whoever is the the kinder teacher and she's going to be there with you and it's okay for you to have a cry and, you know, I'll be back in a few hours. So you make, you get really clear on what's going to happen and you give them the information. So then when we go there and we do read that book, but then if they're like, can you read another one and can you do this and you can do that, we kind of have to stick to being clear about what we said we're going to do because then it often prolongs the the feelings and the expectation. And then the other piece which I feel really passionate about is we want to hand our child over to someone who is okay with their feelings and their upset Mm. and doesn't necessarily move into distracting and making it all okay. Now, I know that doesn't happen in every centre because, you know, staff are stretched and, you know, some don't understand listening to feelings. But if you can hand your child over to someone that they feel safe with and that caregiver is going, it's okay to be upset, it's okay that mummy's going and and I Mm. can just be with you and give you a cuddle and you can have a cry, And again, they're going to move the feelings that are sitting there that allow them to get it out so that then they can go on with their day. Because when we move into distraction or fixing, those feelings are still sitting there under the surface, right? They haven't been moved and then they'll come back the next day. You know, the way I look at it is we want to give our children the opportunity to move the feelings around. This feels hard for me. It's hard saying goodbye for you for the day. It feels really big. And even though we know the benefits of development and learning and all that kind of gorgeous stuff that happens and we know that they can have a good time, you know, being able to hold space for the stuff that feels tricky is really, really important. So I know at um, my daughter's kinder, they ended up creating like a little quiet corner, a little cozy, I think she calls it the cozy corner for her, which she loves now. And often apparently when my husband or I leave, she wants to have a bit of alone time. That seems to work really well, they say, for the rest of the day. But I find actually when I go to leave, and that's generally when she gets really, really worked up, I've tried sort of staying with her for a bit longer, which makes it for her so much worse. And they've sort of advised me that the best thing to do is come in, do her little routine that she does, tell her what we're doing, like what you just said, and then virtually just say, mummy loves you and walk out the door, which I find so tricky because I can hear her then screaming as I leave. And I just go, should I just stay for half an hour until she calms down? But I've found that she doesn't always calm down. You know, it's better for her if I just leave because when I pick her up, she's always happy. I think every child is different. And I think, you know, some children will jump into life and transitions really easily and others are going to take time and there's nothing wrong with that. And I would come back to, you know, you know your daughter better than anyone, Kate. You know how she is and how she works in the world. And what I'd be looking at is, you know, sometimes prolonging the stuff can make it feel harder 
right? And because often we're like, oh, God, this doesn't feel okay and they're picking up on our energy and they're like, it isn't okay and so that can feel tricky. I think it's about finding what feels safe and right for you and working with your caregivers around what feels a good option. Some people don't like the idea of that and and their kids don't go to kinder or daycare or, or they homeschool and that works beautifully for them. Like I think every family is different. My big thing is always coming back to Am I handing my child over to someone who sees them, who is connected to them, who's attuned to them, who will listen to their feelings? And if the answer for me is yes, then I go, okay, well, I feel safe leaving, right? Because children will often push up against stuff. You know, even if, you know, some kids go through phases, even when you're at home and maybe your partner's there, right, who's their parent, and you're like, I'm going to go to the shops. And then they go, no, you can't leave. Yeah. And then we go, oh, God, they get really upset because I can't leave. Well, I better not go to the shops. Whereas actually you know that they're at home in their house that's safe and their other parents looking after them who loves them. It's okay for you to go and there's probably just some big feelings they need to get out around that. And I think that's the same kind of thing. Do we feel safe enough and leaving them in those situations where the people caring for them and know that they're cared for and that they're just working through a bit of a story to help those feelings move? While we're still on the topic of big feelings, because it's such a big topic and there's a million scenarios that we could talk through to get answers that we need, apart from crying and tantrums and, and maybe sort of sadness or even a bit of anxiety, I just wanted to ask about more anger and frustration and how that presents in children, particularly in my two-and-a-half-year-old or almost three-year-old. She's going through this phase of like, you know, roaring at us when she's clearly feeling annoyed or frustrated or she's not getting what she wants. And I know it's really common. I've seen kids do it before and I know it's really normal. But how do we deal with that? Well, firstly, I want to say bravo to your little girl who's like, here's how I'm feeling and I'm going to let it out. And as much as it's confronting, I'm always like it's better out than locked in, right? So when she's roaring at you, you could be like, wow, yeah, you feel mad. I get it. Tell me more, right? You want to welcome it. We don't want to suppress it because we do not want your beautiful little girl to grow up going, my anger and my feelings are not okay. We don't. We want her to go, you have a voice, you have every right to get angry, and there are healthy ways to express that. So what we want to model is healthy ways for her to feel that anger. So if, you know, you won't let her have another biscuit or something and she's like roaring at you, you could be like, yeah, you're mad, honey. Let it out. What else? Stamp your feet. Her name's Honey. Is it? It's Honey. Oh, perfect. Perfect. It's like, how did you know her name? Perfect, perfect, perfect. So, you know, you're like... Yeah, bring it. Now, if that then roaring, which isn't going to hurt anyone, it's just her expressing it, if that roaring then moves into hitting someone, then that's when we need to step in, right? And that's where we'd come over and we'd go, I'm not willing for you to hit anyone, honey, and it is okay to be angry, but it's not okay to hurt someone else's body. So let's find a way we can move this big, mad feeling. Like we really want to teach our children that anger and sad and frustration, they're not bad. They're not negative feelings. They're just feelings. And we really want to teach them healthy ways to move it, healthy ways to express it where we don't project it onto someone else. But what we do is we move it so that we can find our way back into balance. And the way that we teach our kids that is by modeling it ourselves so that when you're angry, you could stand in the kitchen and go, 
And you could be like saying to honey, I've got big, I'm going to roar. Like, and she might be like, yeah, mom, go for it. Like, you know, we want to be like, I've got to put on music and do some angry dancing or, you know, I need to go outside and yell at the trees. Like we have to model healthy ways to feel how we're feeling because if we just move into the it's not okay and we shouldn't do that, then we're basically saying to our kids, this part of how you feel is not acceptable. And that's not true. Mm, So true. That's amazing. So another thing that I wanted to chat to you about was more about us on the parent side of things. And when we get to that kind of like breaking point, you know, those trigger points, that acting out of survival, you know, potentially yelling, you know, utter frustration at our wits end because of Our kids Mm. sort of push you to your limits to the point where you might end up yelling at them. And then you think to yourself, my God, I never wanted to yell at them. I don't know where that came from, you know, but they do. They push your buttons. They do. Mm. That's that's their job. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And then you feel so guilty that you yell. Yeah, you do. I think it's really important to remember your child's job is to help you evolve. That's what they're here for. They're here to help you be the best version of yourself and work through all your own crap so you don't place it onto them, right? That's their job. They're like, "Mm, this is not mine. I'm going to just push the exact right button so you can work through what you need to work through. Mm. So the first thing I would say is, you know, deep compassion to every parent. We've all behaved in ways we don't like. Nobody wants to be doing that, but we're doing it usually because there's there's a few reasons going on. So one of the first reasons is we are not getting our needs met. And that can be because we are tired, because we haven't even eaten lunch, because we're worried about money, because we're juggling all the things. We know we're better parents when we've we've had good night's sleep and dinner's made and there's money in the bank and our partner's, you know, being all lovely. We're like, yeah, we can we can roll mm. with this, right? But we live in stressful lives. We have a lot of stresses going on. We live in environments where we don't have the village, all that kind of stuff. So mm. when I started yelling at my kids, I'd be like, right, I need a timeout. Like I need a break. That would be my line where I'd go to my husband, I need to go away for a night because I've just reached really grumpy mum and that's not cool. You know, the second thing can often be around what we're telling ourselves. So if we have a bit of a negative loop going on, that when our child won't listen to us or, you know, they're acting out in some ways, if we've got a bit of a narrative in our head that's like, why are they making my life so hard? Why can't they just be good? We're kind of projecting onto our kids that there's something wrong with them. It's very hard for us to move into empathy and we're often going to move into reaction. And I think Mm. it's really important that we are curious often around what we're telling ourselves, around mothering, around parenting, around our children, because that has a big impact on often how we respond. The third reason why we snap is often because it's tapping us into our own wounds and hurts. Mm. And this is what parenting is all about right? Because what often happens is our children will respond or react in certain ways and it often taps us into our own wounds where we never got our needs met. Now, I see this turn up again and again and again with parents I work with. If you grew up in an environment where it was quite authoritarian, which means, you know, feelings weren't welcome. You were shut down a lot. You were expected to be good. You might have been sent to your room if you misbehaved. We learn pretty quickly that in order to survive, we have to be good. The cost of that is suppressing our own feelings and emotions. The cost of that is often betraying what we really feel because our driver to be attached and survive is much greater. So we kind of abandon ourselves on some level, right? And then we become parents and we're trying to do it consciously and we listen to podcasts and read books and go, okay, I'm going to do it better. (laughs) All that kind of stuff happens, right? And then our kids, our kids come to us and 
and they're really acting out and they say to you, I hate you. You're the worst mum in the world. You're a poo head. And they start like, you know, saying all this stuff at you and all of a sudden we just tap into rage, right? And what goes on in our head is this story of how dare you? You know, if I ever spoke to my parent that way, you know, I would have been smacked or sent to my room or don't you know what I do for you? My God, like, you know, we, we get tapped into our own stuff. Mm. Now in that moment, we often don't respond with, gee, there's some story here. I might just pause for a second and lean into what's going on for me. Usually we're in reaction mode because we've been activated and triggered and we respond however we respond. But what we want to do is we want to start to be curious around what our reactions are. And my invitation is often this, when we are having a big reaction, it's always about us. And if we were to step back a few steps and go, what is going on for me right now? Then the narrative might be, how dare they speak to me that way? And then if I would say, and now take another step backward, what's underneath that? Well, what's underneath that is a story that says, I was never allowed to talk to my parent that way. And then if we take another step back, what's there? What's there is often a lot of hurt that I was never allowed to express myself in the way that I needed. And I have to tell you, I've worked with thousands of parents and the wound comes back to the same place every time. Makes so much sense. Yeah. The wound is I was often not allowed to be who I needed to be and the other story is and am I enough the way I am? Mm. And so often most of the triggers that we get with our beautiful children will take us back to those places of our childhoods where we never got our needs met. Now that can be because we were shut down. It can be because, you know, we had an older sibling who used to beat us up and nobody ever stepped in and said that wasn't okay. And and then when we see our siblings fighting, we go right into that story again. Mm. It can be when our kids are um, at school and maybe they're being, they're having an off day and they're speaking meanly to another child and then we lose it because we were the kid that was bullied and we're triggered in there. Like just, it's every, it's relentless. <laughs> it's everywhere. It goes through all parts of parenting. Even when my kids became teenagers, I was like, oh, yep, there's 14-year-old me who didn't get picked in the dance squad and I'm having a massive reaction about my son not being picked in the soccer team and I'm getting all fired up and I'm like, oh, yep, no, that's that's about 14-year-old me. That's the invitation of parenting is to watch and be curious about what parts we're triggered into because it's an invitation to go back into those younger parts and do some healing work around it so then we don't have to carry that forward. That's the gift our children bring us. Mm, that's what I was thinking while you were explaining all that. I was like, this is actually such a healing process for yourself. Our children are the teachers. We think we teach them. They are our teachers. So how do we then as parents sort of find a balance of setting boundaries and discipline, but at the same time allowing our children to be free to express themselves? And I guess it's more about, you know, how we manage our own expectations of them and how I guess we think that they should behave. So people often say, how did you discipline your children? And I'm like, well, I actually didn't. I didn't use punishments and rewards. I always came back to the place that a child's natural state is to want to do the right thing, is to want to be connected. And when they're not doing the right thing, then there's something else going on there. So, you know, if my son walked into the the lounge room and I was like, darling, can you please take out the rubbish? And he's like, wow, I want to take out the rubbish. And he starts pushing back. Then my thought is to go, hmm what's going on, right? Because usually when he's in balance, he'll be like, yeah, okay, mum, can I do it in half an hour? And I'll be like, yep, sweet. So when we're looking at behavior, right, and and I love that you brought up our expectation, Kate, sometimes our expectations of what our children should do or what's going on are way higher than what is 
is feasible for them. You know, let's say you have a new baby in the house, right? And then your four-year-old starts all of a sudden not being able to dress themselves or acting out. Well, we've got to be curious and go, well, there's a big change in the family. And right now my four-year-old's feeling really unstable. So perhaps I need to bring a little bit more connection and support them. I know they can dress themselves, but maybe they just need a little bit of loving connection in this moment. Mm. So when we come back to the kind of discipline thing, I always look at it this way. When a child is acting out or not listening or doing something that doesn't feel good behavior-wise, our job is to be curious. So it's firstly, do we meet a need? And once we meet that need, is it okay? Do we try and bring some informational playfulness there? Does that shift what's going on? And then the third thing is if you know they're doing something that's not okay, then we need to come in with a limit. Yeah. And the limit is calm and it is with an open heart. So it's coming in saying, I'm not willing for you to do that. That's a no. And we say no to the behavior. But then we say yes to the feelings that come from it because, again, we understand that what's driving that behavior is usually some stress or some trauma or they've had a big day or they haven't seen you. And what we do is we say no to whatever's going on, but we welcome the feelings that come from that when they push up against that limit. Now, when we understand it that way, it makes sense as to why we don't need to punish and it's not about discipline. Punishment and discipline is all about you are wrong and I have to teach you right. Whereas the way I look at it is there is no wrong. There is just kids that are trying to find their way back into balance or trying to get their needs met. Yeah. And we are missing the clues. We were all brought up in this behaviorism paradigm of good and bad mm. and naughty. And we must teach you a lesson. Mm. But here's the thing if you even reflect on your own childhood, if you did something wrong, and most of the time when we did something wrong, it's because we needed a need wasn't being met or we needed some presence and attention or because we were angry and frustrated and then we got punished for it. Did the punishment teach us not to do it or did the punishment just add more fuel to the fire of nobody understands me, this doesn't feel fair and more hurt in that backpack that we're feeling? And because, again, we often went listen to how we are feeling or what was the root cause of it, we then start to internalize that hurt as, well, I must be bad because they're not giving me love and presence, so maybe there's something wrong with me. That becomes a story that many people carry into adulthood, which is I'm not good enough, I'm not okay, if something doesn't go right, it's my fault, and we become in this cycle of I must be good in order to be loved. Mm. Wow, it's such a big job being a parent. It's so long, isn't it? It's so long. But it's so incredible to just, you know, have you explain probably a lot of what we know deep down. I wanted to ask you quickly about Woodline Primary School. It's so cool that you've created a primary school. So can you tell us a little bit about this and the philosophy and how the idea even came about? So if you had told me five years ago I'd build a school, I'd be like, what? I don't even like education. (laughs) (laughs) You're an educator. (laughs) I'd be like, I'm not a teacher. Like I'd be like, no chance. But It came about because one of my clients, I'd been working with her for quite a few years and she had six children and we'd be working through, you know, each session we'd work through different kids and different stuff. And one of her kids was starting primary school and, um, you know, he'd started and she was like, oh God, it's terrible. Like they make him sit on the floor all day and he gets in trouble if he's talking and there's no choice in autonomy. And she was just like, ah, it just feels horrible. He's hating it. And I'm like, yep, that's our system. And she said to me, well, why, why isn't there a place like the way that you taught me about aware parenting? Why? isn't there schools like that? And I'm like, well, I don't know of any schools that exist like that. And then she just said to me, well, what if we build one? And I'm like, 
I, I don't know how to build a school, but she's like, well, I can fund it and I have the resources to build it. Why don't you build the school that you think should exist? Now, I realize that nobody really gets offered a proposal like that. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, here's a dream, you build it. And I had to sit on it for a few months because I was like, I don't know how to build a school. I can't do this. And, you know, I, there was a lot of doubt, of course, that came up and, I don't know what happened one day. I remember just having this feeling of like, well, who am I not to do it? It just takes one person to be courageous to do something different and let's see what can happen. So from there, I did a lot of research. I spoke to a lot of people. We got some amazing consultants who did know what they were doing. But I really came back to my core philosophy, which I've always believed is this, is that children can't learn if they don't feel safe. If they don't feel seen and safe, if they don't have choice and autonomy, it's very, very hard to learn. And our system is set up in the complete opposite way. And so Mel and I created, you know, this whole idea of what if it is about putting the child at the center of education, which a lot of institutions say they do, but they don't because it's all about data often. And so it really was looking through the lens. And, you know, I'm grateful that my three children, you know, who've been to many different schools and are all completely different learners showed me how children learn and what they needed. So we looked at, well, how do children learn best? Some learn with their hands, some learn with pen and paper, some learn with moving their body, some learn by telling you about it. Like, how do we give children the opportunity to learn in the way that feels good for them? How do we hold space for kids' feelings in school, knowing again the same philosophy that when they're out of balance, it's going to be very hard for them to sit and concentrate and cooperate and learn. So how do we create spaces for them to move their feelings so they can come back into balance. So at our school, it's set on a beautiful farm. We have 20 acres and we have, you know, cows and pigs and chooks and oh. alpacas and all sorts of animals. And so we have small class sizes and we have, we call our teachers guides and we have also assistant guides who are in the room to mainly be there to emotionally tune into the kids and go, is someone off? What do they need? Do they need to go out and see the cows? Do they need to go on the swings and move their body? Do they need to go run for 10 minutes? Do they need Amazing. to talk about some of their feelings? And and as we do that, what we see, and we've been open for two years now, is in creating emotional intelligence in children, we want them to know, to be able to tune into how they feel, to identify how they feel, to then ask for support around what they feel and then be able to move it. And so as we do this as a philosophy at the school, what we see is amazing that kids kind of will just now go, I need to go and have a cry or I need to go move my body. So we're not seeing behaviors in such a massive way. And that's how usually children act out, right? And so our focus really is on that emotional awareness and supporting children to know how to express their feelings and also be seen for who they are as learners and yeah. to to not just be like, you just have to learn this because that's what we're told. It's like, well, let's be curious about the world. What is the impact of this on the world? All those kind of things. So we still, we're a school, we use the Australian curriculum. We have to collect data like everyone else. We do reports like everyone else, but the way we do it is just in a different, innovative way. Yeah, it's a pretty extraordinary place. Sounds incredible. Congratulations. Thank mm. you. So, Lyle, we could talk to you all day. <laughs> but obviously you don't have time to do that. And um, <laughs> Soph's baby's now awake and I can hear my kids have just actually got home downstairs. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but before we finish up, if you were to pick just a few key things that we can do to raise emotionally intelligent and resilient children, what would they be? So I would say do your own work. That's my number one. Like you got to do the work as an adult on your own story. And the more we can understand our own 
childhoods and heal them, the more present and open and spacious we will be with our children. Yeah. So that's my number one too. We have to do the work as parents. The second thing I would say is learn to look behind the behavior and understand that all behavior is communication and that what our kids need in those moments, particularly when they have big feelings, is a calm adult that says, hey, I see you and this is okay and I'm here and I'm going to help you move whatever you need to to come back into that beautiful balanced state. And the third thing I'd say is we all need to play and laugh a lot more. We all play as children's love language. Laughter is brilliant and, and parenting is hard, there is no doubt. But even five, ten minutes of play and laughter and connection can make the world of difference for a child and think about what we're modelling to them. You know, if we want to raise resilient kids and aware children, then we have to model what that looks like. And so we've got to do the work on ourselves. We've got to turn up in that way. We all make mistakes too. Like there's no perfect in parenting. I have messed up in every possible way you can imagine as a parent and we have to be compassionate and forgive ourselves when we do right yeah. because there's no perfect and we're all learning and so the more we can sit in that space as well the better it is for, for everyone in the family amazing thank you so much for your time and My expert pleasure. advice Leigh. we so appreciate it i personally have learned so much from you and picked up so many tips and you know so much of the work that you do resonates with the way that I want to parent so I'm super grateful for you and you know people doing things like you in the world so thank you for your time and thanks for joining us so much my pleasure it's been lovely to talk to you thank you that's it for today make sure you head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes hit subscribe on your podcast app and follow us on instagram at talking in common or you can check out our facebook page which is also talking in common have a lovely day and as always thanks for listening